Hello and welcome to the very first episode of A Tryst with Statecraft, a Project Statecraft podcast. In this episode, we'll be focusing on something that has international significance, geopolitical motivations, as well as a consistent theme of international relations as we study it today. We're going to be talking about the Middle East, in specific, the relations between Israel and the Arab nations in the context of the Abraham Accords. Now, what exactly is the Abraham Accord? The agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates promises to establish normal relations between the two countries. These include business relations, tourism, direct flights, scientific cooperation, and in time, full diplomatic ties at the ambassadorial level. The Emiratis are unlikely, however, to locate their embassy in Jerusalem, but an important component of the Abraham Accord, though not specifically spelled out, is enhanced security cooperation against regional threats, especially from Iran and its proxies. It is important to note that Israel and the UAE already have security ties, but the agreement brings them out into the open. Now, a valid part of this is the idea that the Emirati government took the accord, immediately stops Israeli plans to annex parts of the West Bank, and provides an opportunity for Israel and the Palestinians to renew negotiations to end their conflict. With me, I have Abhishek Sibke and Shreyas Ashok Kumar. We're very glad to have you over here. Shreyas, why don't you get us started? Sure. Thanks, Shivank, and uh, happy to be here. Um, so, I mean, I think we're going to focus this episode mainly on the effect that this has on Palestine itself, as well as how this can affect the future of Israeli-Palestinian relations, right? So, uh, I think what's happened through this deal is that Israel has somehow managed to use Palestine as leverage into uh, getting better relationship with other Arab nations, right? So, by first uh, threatening to annex, uh, although they claim it's not an annexation itself, uh, by threatening to annex West Bank itself and using that as leverage or or as a bargaining tool into convincing Arab states that, okay, fine, if in the case that we don't annex, what are you going to give us in return? And hence sort of push their way into making good relations with Arab states, right? So it's worked particularly with UAE, especially since uh, UAE's victory for Palestine seems to be the fact that they've they've managed to halt this annexation. But the thing is, the annexation was never supposed to happen in the first place, right? So, by by sort of uh, negotiating from that higher ground that they have, I think they've managed to get a lot out of the deal itself. So, um, I think it's it's not a particular it's not a particularly good move for Palestine itself because uh, I think they have lost more than they've gained, especially because the one thing the Palestine had going for them across decades was that the Arab states always seemed to support them in their cause against Israel. But now there seems to be a third party getting involved in the in the form of Iran. So the Iranian threat seems to be looming over these Arab nations a lot more than the Israeli threat used to be. So they have sort of diverted their attention in order to uh, fight Iran's uh, threats that they that they seem to be uh, that seem to be so evident to them. And in that process, they have sort of put Palestine on the back burner, right? So it's sort of a mutual enemy case where they've decided that okay, fine, partnering up with Israel could help us tackle Iran better. And so it makes sense for all of these Arab states to do it. So I think where Palestine lost out really was uh, when they sort of failed to convince their own Arab states that there's still a cause worth fighting for and that it's still a very pertinent cause that they have to keep working towards, especially in, especially through foreign policy, right? So 
because they've taken the back burner in a lot of Arab states' foreign policies, uh, what's happened is that they're starting to prioritize the Iran threat a lot more than the Israeli threat. So I think Palestine is sort of losing a lot of ground in, in negotiating table, especially when it comes to a lot of international deals. And I, I think we can also see a lot of uh, Arab states following suit. I think Bahrain, Oman are, are all touted to be the next states to have a deal with Israel, right? So I think the more and more support that Israel garners amongst Arab states, the more trouble Palestine will be in. Right. So on that way note, Israel and UAE have been inching towards normalization in recent years, right? In 2015, Israel opened a, like, a diplomatic office in the Emirati capital of Abu Dhabi, tied specifically to the International Renewable Energy Agency. Senior Israeli officials have visited Abu Dhabi, states have participated in regional competitions, and Israel is all set to participate in future sporting events as well, including the Dubai World Expo. Don't you think, for, to a certain degree, that this is a front for uh, an, excessive, like an accessible normalization rather than one that would have caused significant controversy if not for Israel's threats of annexation? Abhishek, you're up. Um, thank you so much, Shivank. And uh, it's great to be here. I think this is a very pertinent discussion to be having at this particular point in time. Uh, now, first of all, I completely agree with Shreyas on the fact that Palestinians did lose out. And they've been losing out for uh, decades now. And uh, I think one of the most important reasons why it has been happening, other than the fact, as Shreyas pointed out, that they couldn't convince the Arab, uh, their Arab brothers that this cause is more important than the threat of Iran on their sovereignty is the lack of uh, is the lack of proper pro political drive amongst themselves, right? So if you look at the way uh, a Palestinian liberation, liberation organization is structured, or the way Palestinian authority is structured, so in the recent years and uh, especially since the Oslo records, we have seen a lot of volatility over there, and so I think just like uh, most of the countries in the world. Every country wants to make decisions which are best for their country. And if you look at it from a very business sense, then investing in a volatile deal is not something that any country would be willing to do. And that's what is, uh, that, that's what is something that we are seeing here as well. Uh, in addition to this, I think after the Arab Spring wave that occurred uh, years back, I think there's a new wave and it's not just in the Middle East anymore, but around the globe. Right? So this is the nationalist wave which is spreading across the countries, be it the United States, as we saw in the uh, Trump election, uh, or be it in India, what we saw with Modi election. So I think people have started to look at themselves and their countries before, uh, say, regions or the world. And I think that is an attitude change which the world is seeing. And in between this COVID, uh, COVID crisis, I think, sadly, that gap is just getting how uh, even more uh, vast because because there is a stop in globalization right because people cannot move around anymore so unlike a lot of uh, in in spite of uh, monarchy existing in the middle east especially in countries such as uh, saudi arabia such as uh, united arab emirates these countries and these monarchies they pay a very significant attention to the public opinion that exists in their countries and if you look at the polls that have occurred in these countries recently, a lot of these countries believe that the Palestinian cause comes secondary to their very own uh, interests, right? And in the current world, these countries have started taking 
a much more practical approach to their sustainability to their future and that is long term peace and that's what vision for peace also uh, pushed towards the the very fact that uh, annex annexation was used as a bargaining chip as shreya said that's completely true because if at this particular point in time if we look at uh, the entire vision for peace that trump uh, uh, fronted then it it can be perceived as a as a hard to sell decoy option so that you you can sell and push another option which is not great for the opponent in a much more easier fashion and i think that's what's happening here that's what's happen and that's what will keep happening so just as we saw in 1977 when egypt uh, after egypt normalized its relations with israel and got kicked out of the arab league jordan followed suit i think that's what's going to happen here where uh, after uae countries such as uh, bahrain such as sudan such as oman morocco i think these countries are right in the line to knock uh, to to knock out of the palestinian cause and look look out for themselves so i think we are we, we will be seeing a huge change in the way this region is going to be perceived as and the fault lines are just going to uh, grow in the near future right donald trump and the rise of hypernationalism specifically across the globe as well we'll talk about the like sheer variety of numbers in terms of leaders who are coming up with a very similar slogan that is nash nationalism to the degree that nation first before any of the causes that may or may not be overarching maybe based on religion or specific regional identity but in specificity to this particular issue the donald j trump administration oversaw the three way diplomacy that resulted in the abraham accords right why do you think the americans are so invested in a peace process and is there like is their effort are their efforts likely to increase the tensions present in the area or result in the escalation either of you can take it up right um i think the reason they're so invested is because there across across the past few years there has been a growing image that usa is not being harsh enough or, or aggressive enough towards iran right um and especially if say biden's uh, claim to bring back the nuclear deal will mean that sanctions get reduced again and again against iran right so this sort of growing worry amongst arab nations that uh usa is getting softer on iran means that they'll have to find other methods in order to tackle iran so usa is actually at actually i think done well in order to uh use that as again further leverage to push for israel arab relations instead right so sort of taking the burden of them in order to counter iran and and bring israel in back in the process in order to tackle iran um but on the other hand what it does mean is that um uh, there's uh, i mean usa has gotten a lot more detached towards the middle east uh, i think a lot of i think this is bipartisan as well where uh, a lot of party leaders as well as party members think that uh there's too much uh, expenditure that's gone in, and gone into the middle east and it's not really yielded much return right uh, and usa is growing as a, a producer of natural resources as well so i mean that the reliance on the middle east for oil as well as reducing slowly and i think what's happening is that um it's it's sort of it's beneficial to the us in order to push more for israel arab relations than direct us arab relations uh to counter iran while making sure that yeah the, the threat of iran is countered successfully because israel is always a huge threat towards iran right and always has been uh and and also making sure that the arab nations don't think to uh sort of doesn't affect the arab us relations as well 
because they did act as the third party in this negotiation deal as well um so i think uh, i would like to interject there and i think i hold a slightly different view in this particular situation right so uh, if you look at the way uh, past two administrations in the united states have been they have uh, withdrew from the middle east or they have attempted to withdraw a little from the middle east even if you look at the obama administration the very concept of the iran nuclear deal was so that uh middle east could be a more peaceful place so that united states does not have to act as the policeman of the middle east what trump did is just put it out uh to the world in words without taking the actions that obama did so i think the way uh the foreign policies are aligning right now in the middle east is more on the lines of isolating iran as the threat and trying to build a, a sufficient regional force against iran without uh united states of america because with uh Trump in office and this still being a sort of inconsistency and volatility on who is going to come uh into the American office into the oval office uh in November i think the middle eastern players are still playing it safe and trying to warm up to israel uh is one of the attempts of trying to isolate iran such that israel for example israel saudi arabia united arab emirates so these countries are able to stick together against uh the other alliance that is brewing up in middle east at this point right which is qatar which is iran contentiously turkey as well but i think in all of this the major losers are palestinians and what happens with palestinians is 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 a huge question mark because uh i think one of the most pertinent questions to to the discussion is should palestinians uh should should palestinians change their demands that they've always uh, stuck for so their or their demands have always been that we need to israel needs to withdraw back to pre 1967 borders and uh, that seems to be extremely uh, unfeasible politically but i think the question remains is should palestinian reconsider these demands and uh, if so what should be what should their demands be right on the subject of palestine like when you consider how this might can affect the israeli palestinian relations and more broadly the region despite the apparent israeli promise of halting the annexation the palestinian leadership has rejected the accord right and it's also recalled its ambassador from abu dhabi from the perspective of the palestinians and their supporters the agreement reflects bad faith on the parts of israel the uae and the united states since the israelis and the emiratis have been normalizing ties even before the accords what do you think of this criticism shreyas i mean uh, compared to the previous deals that we have seen i think what changed is that palestine wasn't a stakeholder in this negotiation right usually whenever there is uh, any negotiation with israel for peace deals palestine is usually a big part of it i mean either as a stakeholder directly in the negotiation table on the negotiating table itself or at least a part of the negotiations which means what are the relations with palestine going to look like but i think this is one of the first times where we have seen a deal amongst the middle east itself where palestine's not been a big part of that deal and i think that's what's got palestine sort of uh, i think they feel like they've been written off right because as i said before uh, there are other threats that are that are growing in the middle east such as iran such as qatar as you mentioned and so i think because of that what's happened is palestine had no choice but to reject this deal otherwise they would sort of end up taking that back that back seat forever and it is sort of continue on with other deals as well so 
it's sort of i think it's a ploy in order to make sure that they're back on that table back as a major stakeholder in all middle east negotiations uh but i think what has but uh, but apart from that what else what else has changed is that uh while it has halted the annexation itself as i said before the annexation was never supposed to be on the table it was something that was manufactured by israel uh and by netanyahu in order to get i think in order to either get this done or at least act as some sort of image in his own country right but um so i don't i don't think the halting of the annexation was a huge win for palestine either at least at not at the cost of losing such an ally like uae and and following suit with the other countries as well uh, who they who previously blindly supported palestine right for that cause so i think it's a trade off that really wasn't worth making in the first place but i think what we are also underestimating is the effect that this might this might have on israel itself because uh while we say that the halting of the annexation was meant to be a negotiating chip or is it's sort of secondary to the deal itself i think domestically netanyahu loses a lot by not making sure that the annexation happens because even a lot of the settlers in the west bank were waiting for the annexation in order to uh legalize their lands and and sort of push their propaganda in the in their in the west bank region that they settled in right so i think domestically netanyahu has lost a lot and a lot of people have come out in protest of uh why the annexation is not happening or why it's been delayed so long right so i and especially with this current turmoil politically that he already has domestically going on with his uh that that's happened across the past few months as well i think netanyahu has also lost a lot in terms of his domestic image um although it doesn't really affect that much international relations wise a small counterpoint to that israel has demonstrated very little interest in negotiations with the palestinians like it's tightened its grip on the west bank and along with egypt maintains a cordon along the gaza strip gaza strip the trump administration has moved the us embassy from tel aviv to jerusalem ended or significantly curtailed aid to palestinians and produced a peace plan that most palestinians regard as grossly unfair to the national aspirations and rights at that point in time don't you think that israel has pretty much lost nothing but gained a significant entry into the arab world as a legitimate actor abhishek um yeah so i wanted to uh interject right before this but uh, yeah so i think i hold uh, before answering your question i hold a slightly different opinion from what uh, shreya said i think uh, netanyahu this was a brilliant move for uh, netanyahu right because if you look closely and read between the lines of the abraham accord um so it was it, it's it's a very politically drafted uh, document where uh, uae is able to uh, spin it as something which they did in order to protect the palestinians in order to stop the annexation in order to ensure that peace sustains whereas the uh, the the word the specific use of the word suspend uh, the annexation rather than end the annexation or uh, terminate the plan of annexation i think is it's a brilliant move on uh, the part of uh, netanyahu because if you look at the composition of the uh, neset uh, right now the israeli parliament uh, it is primarily made up of uh, the nationalists and uh, the other party right and these guys have have a coalition uh, government and netanyahu was able to uh, throw a bone uh, to these nationalists who were expecting uh, the annexation to occur but even as the discussion for the annexation was happening uh, right before this uh, the very uh, question of if an annexation is really required was also brewing up in israel at the same time as the questions of uh, as the demands for uh, the annexation were increasing because there exists a large population in israel itself which 
still supports which supports the Palestinian cause, which supports the Palestinian people, mainly because of the sort of PR that Palestine have to be very honest. Um, so yeah, I mean, because even before uh, the annexation, these areas that uh, were scattered across the West Bank, they were governed uh, by Israeli authorities. So on paper, uh, on the ground, in reality, nothing would have changed as such. It was more of a symbolic move for Netanyahu to make sure that his political stability uh, stays on. But now what he does is he claims to be the peace bringer to the Middle East, just as Trump is going to spin it. And at the same time, he is also able to throw a bone to the nationalists saying that, hey, I've only suspended this uh, this annexation. I mean, it may or may not happen. Like, Let's see how it goes. Because I think in the long run, the way Netanyahu is playing it, it's more on the lines of, I want an entire coalition of Arab uh, countries against Iran because Iran is the only enemy out here and none of the others are. So I think that's how uh, it's playing out to be. Right. A large part of this is younger leaders taking over with multiple people suggesting that the only reason that Saudi Arabia has remained relatively quiet is that the crown's prince, Mohammed bin Salman, supports the agreement but is constrained because his father, the king, opposes normalization with Israel, Iran, Qatar, and Turkey. Now, they've all criticized the accord in terms of the latter two, with uh, Turkey even threatening to withdraw its ambassador from Abu Dhabi. But the key facet so far has been the relatively newer associated leaders running along a line criticizing an ineffective, corrupt Palestinian government. Do you think that the authority uh, placed upon the Palestinians in terms of the people supporting them from Ramallah is justified or is the change necessary and warranted for Palestinians to survive in a modern day? Right. Uh, I mean, I think there's two things here. Uh, the first one being that now what we've seen, especially across the past few decades, is that uh, the PA itself is getting split a lot and, the, and their sort of rule of law that they have in Palestine is very divided with the rise of Hamas and the fact that the PLO is not able to control that region of the Gaza Strip and have the same type of authority that they once had before in Palestine itself, right? But I think the more interesting point that you raised was this uh, the crop of new leaders sort of taking over and uh, and moving towards the normalization of relations with Israel. And I think Saudi Arabia is a good case to take here, right? Because I think Palestine's way forward will be to go with Saudi Arabia because as long as the king, the king remains on the throne and he takes the active decisions, right? Uh, I think if Palestine can still convince Saudi Arabia to remain on that side and still treat Palestine-Israel as the major conflict of the region and f- and focus their priority towards that rather than moving their priorities towards Iran or the other threats that are rising in the Middle East, I think Palestine's way forward will be to make sure that while uh, the sort of the old guard still remains in Saudi Arabia, uh, it's important for them to get that relationship tightened up and to use Saudi Arabia's influence on the other uh, on the Arab on the other Arab nations. And push their uh, and push their uh, viewpoint forward, right? And make sure that Israel is still sufficiently countered by the other Arab states, rather than all all of them losing out to um, to this normalization of Israeli Arab uh, relations, as we saw with UAE, and I, th- I think what we're going to see soon with Bahrain and Oman. Um, so I think one of the questions that I I have at this particular point is. What is what is it that Palestinians would gain from an utopia from a utopian stance like this, right? So for the past uh, decades, Palestine has been uh, going on and on about the utopian cause of uh, the Palestinians. And to be honest, with the 
with with the way the world is changing at this particular point in time even in the covid crisis and the kind of support that these countries are going to need from each other in to make sure that their economies get back up then in this situation how long is it before uh, saudi arabia decides that it is time to get in cahoots with israel rather than stick out for the palestinian cause especially now that the economic condition in saudi arabia itself is under threat with with the world moving towards clean energy with the oil reserves in saudi arabia depleting so i think palestine needs to needs to take a more realistic approach here and uh, as 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 you said before palestine definitely rejected this in, in fact every arab country rejected this no matter what their uh, stance on the issue was because of the because of the ideology that exists here at least in principle but if the palestinians are able to get themselves back on the table which they would be in uh, my opinion then i think the best way forward is to try and negotiate a way to have some some sort of territory and basically do the peace for land uh, sort of a deal rather than peace for peace uh, deal which israel and palestine have been trying to do uh, time and again i mean what is your take on the same right shares if you could just give us your viewpoint on what this looks like going forward and what we can expect before i'll give a conclusion of sorts right um so i think with respect to what abhishek just spoke about um uh, while i think the solution itself should be made sure that they stick to the realistic lines i think now is not the time for palestine to start giving in and to start uh, sort of moving into that realistic approach right i think with israel especially gaining more and more leverage out of everything that they do with respect to say the annexation and the new normalization of relations with the arab states right i think now is the time for palestine to sort of work start working towards that utopian plan so that in the process at least they manage to gain a little bit more leverage to bring to the negotiating table when they do meet i think if they met now palestinians on a huge back foot and they'll probably get very little of what they expected right whereas if they start moving towards that and sort of gain more and more leverage towards that so when they eventually do meet sometime in the future now say a few years from now or even if it's a few months from now i think if they do gain some a little bit more bargaining power they might be able to get a little bit more out of the peace deal that uh well right, although right now seems unrealistic when it does come i think they might be able to get a little bit more out of it if they do stick to the stick to those utopian lines right utopian lines right now and save that realistic approach for the negotiating table itself so i think the more leverage they can gain as i said with with say now strengthening relations with saudi arabia while it while they still can so uh, as long as they can do that and sort of keep as many arab states as they can on their end and to make sure that they prioritize the israel palestinian conflict over the 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 threat of iran or qatar or turkey right so as long as they can keep managing 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 to do that and sort of push towards the fact that uh, arab states should remain with palestine as their agenda and if they can if they manage to do that with that utopian idea in mind i think when they come to the negotiating table they'll get a lot more out of the deal than they would if they switch to a realistic approach right away right so a small counterpoint to that i think that given we've already discussed to a certain degree that countries like bahrain countries like oman morocco sudan are all seeking to establish diplomatic relations with israel don't you think that that waiting and hoping might just let israel gain a stronger position right uh, which is why i think that Palestine should take a more proactive approach towards their foreign relations right i mean that's why i'm that's why i'm sort of advocating for palestine to get back into the books of saudi arabia 
and strengthen those first and then then start strengthening relations other arab nations to make sure that the same thing doesn't happen again because the more and more nations that israel can normalize relations with is a is a bigger bigger blow for palestine right in, in the end so i think it's time for them to start proactively offering more incentives to have better relations with arab states and and more than that convincing people that israel is still one of the largest threats in the middle east and will continue to be even despite the rising threat of iran so convincing them to shift their priorities should be their should be their priority right uh, okay uh, should be that priority so to make sure that uh, and to do that i think what they need to do is get saudi arabia on board immediately criticize the abraham accords and then move accordingly with that as long as the old guard still lasts so i think their steps should be to convince these nations who are looking to normalize relations with israel and still convince them that israel is the biggest threat in the middle east so i think on people this sounds brilliant right so it's it sounds uh really great that a uh, palestine would go up to arab states and tell them that hey i think israel uh, iran is not a threat but if you look at the ground realities today if you look at yemen if you look at what's happening in lebanon if you look at uh what's if if you, if you look at the border problems that are happening uh with iraq if you look at the kind of tension that exists with the united states itself and uh the furthering tensions with uh with, between israel and iran itself it is highly unlikely that uh, palestinians would be able to convince arab states that iran is no more a threat because to be very honest it is uh the way iran has been functioning in the past few years it is uh, largely a threat because it's if you look at the nuclear angle of this israel uh, definitely does not confirm or deny its position on nuclear weapons but iran goes a step ahead and uh, announces to the world that they want nuclear weapons and i think this is a highly volatile place uh now if you if we look at a more realistic approach here i so when i say a realistic approach it doesn't mean giving up on the negotiation right so if we historically look at the way things have been uh egypt and jordan which normalized ties with uh israel back in 1977 they've been able uh to contribute more to the palestinian cause than any other, any, any of the other arab countries at this particular point in time because one because of one primary reason that they have access to israel right they have access to the uh, they, they are in a position to get into the dialogue to discuss things with them and i think that is something which can be of use here because uh, as we have seen palestine uh, palestinian authority did not just go on to uh, ridicule the very deal but they went on to ridicule the nations that did this deal as well and i think that is another place where palestine palestine is losing out on and uh, i think it is high time that palestine instead of in addition to getting uh, in cahoots and in uh, good faith with uh, saudi i think it's high time they also start warming up to the nations who have normalized ties right? to the nations such as uh, united arab emirates to the nations such as uh, egypt jordan bahrain and instead of going to the more uh, conservative the more right wing uh, nations which are which which claim to be supporting the palestinian cause but haven't really done much in the past few decades such as iran and qatar uh, such as iran and qatar and uh, i think this would play an extremely important role in ensuring that palestinians get uh, what they can at this particular point i mean the question of what they deserve is truly out of the window especially because to lay it out in layman's terms trump and netanyahu played the cards right right and along the same lines right another obstacle that i think palestine will have and that often goes unnoticed is the fact that they're not a very united negotiating party in the first place right um, especially with the plo still targeting hamas for getting 
a lot of their funding from Iran and Hezbollah still uh, and and Hezbollah right so i think what's happening is that because of this loss of face that they have on the international scale because of the divisions they have amongst themselves about Iran i think convincing everybody else that Iran is the lesser threat of the two is still a very difficult task but i still stand by my uh, by by my stance that Palestine needs to find a way to do that because unless they can do that uh, i think they'll start losing a lot of face and a lot of ground when it comes to negotiating right so as a whole like on a concluding note we like we've come to the conclusion that there's a lopsided peace process that has been terribly divisive for the palestinians right and i think a large part of that is what asymmetrical peace processes do therefore abandoning it must lead to some form of national unity and that national unity is missing now the competition between the primary political factions has thus far been proven like against national unity and elections have been no less the case now this is what shreyas and uh, abhishek were talking about as well but instead of uniting against the occupation the factions have been preoccupied with managing it so when organizations like fatah and hamas continue to insist on holding on to the strongholds the separated bandistans in the west bank and gaza some suggest the establishment of an overall political umbrella perhaps a reformed and expanded plo to unite all the palestinians around the undisputed cause of justice but this will require a new generation of palestinians to step up and take over from the predominantly septuagenarian and octogenarian leadership to chart a fresh new way forward on a concluding note let's just talk about what shreyas and abhishek just spoke about right let's talk about the lopsided peace process which has been terribly divisive for the palestinians and that is exactly what asymmetrical peace processes do therefore the abandonment of the same must lead to some form of national unity but that's not been the case so far the dreadful competition between the main political factions has thus far proven detrimental to national unity and elections have been no less divisive instead of uniting against the occupation fatah and hamas continue to insist on to holding their strongholds the separated bandistans in the west bank and gaza some suggest that the establishment of an overall political umbrella perhaps a reformed and expanded plo unite all the palestinians around the cause of uh, the undisputed cause of justice is something that could be the new way forward that we have had has come up with his proposal for wage watch and consolidate as much power for the best amount of negotiating Uh, ability during the time that negotiations actually do take place and we've also had abhishek coming with his own ideas regarding the peace process and how best palestine can go forward we'll just move on to a short note of thanks from both of them and then conclude this meeting thank you very much for being part of this podcast thank you so much for uh, having me on the podcast and as we've spoken throughout throughout this podcast i think what we need today is the best for the palestinians be it a utopian way that they adopt or a realist way as shivang pointed out i think unity is extremely important in terms of getting palestinians the least of uh, 
of of whatever they can at this particular point in time and reduction of uh, violence and flourish flourishment of peace in the middle east i think uh, the best way forward would be to make sure that diplomacy prevails and uh, isolationism doesn't thank you so much yeah thanks shivank it's been a pleasure to be here and yeah on a concluding note i'd say that i think it's it's more to do with let's see how the other countries respond i'm especially curious to see how palestine and iran respond uh, to see if iran takes this threat seriously and sort of backs down in order to make sure that palestine is sort of raised in terms of threat so that it uh, sort of advantage uh, being advantages to both in terms of iran and palestine to have palestine be be put back on the priority list as well as iran palestine relations to sort of flourish a little bit more so i think it'd be curious to see how these countries do respond and uh, maybe we'll see from there on out how this uh, goes on